You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. It's understandable that teams are going to give up leads, and, you know, it happens all over the league. But the fact that it has happened as many times as it has, for the Canucks, it's a major concern, and something has to be fixed. No, 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 no. I hear you love water parks. Are you going to celebrate by going to a water park? I don't know yet, but maybe. I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. But I do know how to build a football team. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning. Good morning. Laddie, good morning. And yes, you were correct that it was and was a very random intro, but I loved it. I told you it was coming. Hello. Uh, that, hello, was hello. that Ursay right at the end? Then? Uh, with the sausage line, yeah, yeah, that was that barely cracked the top five weird lines from Ursay yesterday. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about the Indianapolis Colts and their owner, though. Today, we have a lot to get into. It's Canucks game day here on Sportsnet 650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show. I need to tell you a couple things right now. Uh, one, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I also need to let you know that the pre-Friday sale is on now at Rogers. Get an iPhone 13 for $5 per month with eligible trade on financing and upfront edge. For more details, visit them at rogers.com. Finally, tell the fine folks, Jason, about the Kintech Studio and Kintech. Well, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show. Big, big show. A bunch of guests that we need to get to today. First one will be up in about 28 minutes' time. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN as we whip around the NHL. 7 o'clock, Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa. The Canucks are in Ottawa to take on the Sens tonight. 7.30, BC Lions wide receiver Alex Hollins is going to join the show. Uh, he caught the opening touchdown against the Stamps uh, on the weekend in that playoff win. He was also on the field for that trickery. Mm-hmm. The, the Pipkin tossed a third down touchdown throw. So we'll talk to Alex Hollins at 730 about all that. Look ahead to Winnipeg. Did you see the line on the Bombers-Lions game? No, not yet. Bombers, a four-and-a-half point favorite. Four-and-a-half? Four-and-a-half. That's it. I was wrong about that. I'm usually pretty good about... I was surprised. Those lines. Yeah, I was surprised. And uh, all right, some some respect for the BC Lions. Uh, certainly there's a Nathan Rourke factor in that line, I think. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to the Drancer, Thomas Drance. Uh, three guesses about what we'll be talking about with the Drancer. It was an interview that happened just last night on this very station. It has certainly made rounds both locally in media and across the country. Because remember... <laughs> Uh, the Canucks are heading out on an eastern swing that goes through Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal. Is the timing of this interview coincidental, or was there more to it than that? We will discuss coming up. Uh, so as I mentioned Canucks and Sens, 4 o'clock, puck drop from Ottawa. There's 10 other games in the NHL tonight as well. So working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. 7.30, Alex Hollins. 7 o'clock, Ian Mendez 
6.30, Greg Wyshynski. Big show, lots of good guests. But before we get to any of that, uh, we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? The big news of the day didn't happen until 5 o'clock Monday evening. And that's when Canucks president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, came on this very station, Canucks Central, with Satin Dan. And I want to say unloaded, but I guess I have to say proceeded or continued to unload on the team's lack of structure and some pointed criticisms of his head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. This is one of the weirdest management coaching dynamics in franchise history for me it's right up there maybe even exceeding the weird dynamic between Gillis and Torts that one was weird and if you remember that one um it only lasted a year and the notion was that Mike Gillis did not want to hire John Tortorella that that was made perhaps above his head and then at the end of the season he said he came onto the old sports radio station in Vancouver and basically said, we got to get back to playing hockey the way I want us to play hockey. Uh, and then he was fired. And everyone was fired. And so was Torts. Yeah. Uh, but this one, man, this this one's been going on a while now too. This one really has been going on. It's longer than just this season. It's longer than, you know, over the off season. It really dates back to the earliest reports that, hey, maybe this management group doesn't really want to keep Bruce Boudreaux. And everyone was like, what? What are you talking about? Bruce Boudreaux, isn't he the reason he, the Canucks are actually winning some games? Isn't he, the, isn't he the fan favorite? Isn't he the guy that helped turn this team around last season? Yeah, same guy. But it's not the guy, clearly, for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin because it's been the same comments about the Canucks lacking structure, lacking systems, lacking accountability. And once again, that was the story yesterday when Jim Rutherford was on this station. And I'll be honest with you, it's getting, it's almost, for I think for a lot of people, it's moved beyond weird to uncomfortable. Yeah. And we've got a bunch of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line even before the show started. Ones like Kevin from Coquitlam who texted in and that was a brutal interview. I don't think I've ever heard management ever throw a coach under the bus as much as Rutherford has this season. The defense sucks. We knew it would suck and they admit they couldn't do anything so they blame the coach. Um... A bunch of a bunch of texts exactly like that, mm-hmm. um, where fans are like, "Man, like Boudreaux, you know, is I, I get that he's he's not management's coach, but this is getting hard to watch, and it's and it's getting almost disrespectful to Bruce Boudreaux, who's won a lot of games as an NHL head coach. This is not some you know, this is not some guy who just rolled in here. This is a guy that." is is near the winningest head coach in NHL history. Like, he's up there. He he just won his 600th NHL game as a head coach, and you're treating him like he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Okay, so let's hear from the president of Hockey Ops right now, Jim Rutherford, 
Uh, we'll start just basically, we may as well do this chronologically because throughout the interview with Sat and Dan, uh, Rutherford kept dropping nukes of various sizes on the team's structure, the team's start to the season, the team's inability to hold a lead. All of it got thrown under the microscope. And here we'll start now. Uh, Jim Rutherford talking about that all of this, first of all, all of this, whatever this is right now, is not going to get changed in a short period of time. First of all, this is not going to get changed in a in a real short period of time. I, I know that we all recognize that, and there's a real challenge here, um, you know, related to sorting out contracts and, and, and different things like that. But at this point, I would have expected better. Uh, I didn't like our training camp, um, and we continued into the early part of the season um, the same way as our, our training camp was. And in order for us, there's a lot of things that have to happen, but in order for us to become a better team, we have to play with a stronger system and and uh, and really be more accountable for some of the things that some of the players are, are struggling with. So right there, the first sort of jab has been thrown, right? We don't have enough accountability for not doing the proper things on the ice. He questions the system. He questions the training camp, trash, questions whether they were ready to go to start the season. Not done there. Then it came down to even more specifics, this time as it pertains to the team's inability to hold a lead. And this has obviously been a problem this year. The Canucks have blown five, count them, five multi-goal leads through their first 12 games of the season. Uh, Rutherford did say it's understandable given the current landscape of the NHL where a lot of teams are blowing leads on a regular basis. This will happen. But to have this many blown leads in this short a period of time, unacceptable from the president of Hockey Ops. Here he is on that. It's understandable that teams are going to give up uh, leads, and you know it happens all over the league. But the fact that it has happened as many times as it has for the Canucks in this short period of time, it's a major concern, and something has to be fixed. When you when you're winning at home three nothing in your own building, and you have the the goaltender that we have and the players that we have, we should not lose that game. And unfortunately, we did. Every point's critical to us at this point. I mean, that one to me was the real shot. He's like, we can't lose when we have the players that we have and the goalie that we have. That means this ain't a roster thing as far as I can see. This is an execution thing on the ice. It was, look, I don't like to be too hyperbolic when it comes to things, even though we are on Sports Talk Radio and that's kind of part of the gig. But uh, I, I take it a step further. I don't think this is even the weirdest coaching management dynamic in Canucks history. I think I think it's gone past Tortorella and Gillis. I think what we're looking at here is one of the most uncomfortable mm-hmm. coaching management relationships in in the, at least in the last two or three decades. It is crazy where this hey, has gone to. What's he doing? I don't know. Well, I, I think I have a couple theories. <laughs> Just I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, he's what's he's he like, what's he doing? He is. He's, well, I think he's almost daring Boudreaux to quit. <laughs> For being honest, <laughs> is this a Costanza scene here? Like, is is Bruce Boucher going to be driving around in the parking lot with either, either? No uh, Stanley Cup to do that though. It would no, just, that's it would just true. Be a, yeah. few, a few banners. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: either, either Jim Rutherford, one of the most veteran and experienced executives in NHL history, just so happened to book an interview 
the day before the team begins a pretty lengthy Eastern road swing where they're going through hockey hotbeds and media capitals like Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. Unless that was purely coincidental. Yeah. Then he had to do this with a little bit of strategy in mind. If it's purely coincidental, Jason, then uh, we've got even bigger questions. Like if you didn't realize what you were about to set off, I think that's even more red flag-ish. But to me, this is a guy saying, uh, you got that big road trip coming up. You're going to be in Toronto, Bruce. That's uh, that's a place near and dear to your heart. They right. love you in Toronto. They're going to talk to you lots there. Saturday night. Kaboom. Here's a bomb for you to deal with on the way out. Are we going to hear Bruce Boudreau fire back at management? I'd be pretty pissed if I was being constantly run down in public by my boss. I'm okay hearing criticism. Even the odd bit of public criticism. That's fine. He doesn't have much to lose at this point, Bruce Boudreaux. Like, I don't think he's, <laughs> I don't think Bruce is like, hey, Jim, I'd, I'd like to talk about a contract extension for next season. I think things are going real well here. I'm reading the room here. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we should sit down and I'd like to hammer, hammer out some, uh, maybe a three year, four year deal. Um, I also wonder what ownership is thinking about this, about Rutherford making it sound like, the only reason Boudreaux is still the coach is because there was a contract that had to be honored is because the Canucks are already paying Travis Green. Mm-hmm. And they probably would have had to pay out Boudreaux to get out of this contract. We're not exactly sure of the details, but I'm pretty sure I heard that reported at one point that it wasn't just like if the Canucks didn't pick up the option, Boudreaux would you know go away. I think they had to pay him out some sort of minimal Sure. Amount. Uh, I mean, that that's the only thing that makes sense at this point too, right? Um, so is Boudreaux almost asking his owner for permission to be paying a third coach because they fire Boudreaux, still paying him, bringing another guy. That's a third guy. Mm-hmm. I heard from someone that the Canucks right now are very desperate for Travis Green to get another job. Right. So that maybe they can fire Boudreaux. Which is just like, it's just so bizarre to me that the Canucks would allow this to play out in public. And it just does not seem, it is, it is, isn't, isn't this guys, isn't this the definition of dysfunctional? Yes. It's either. what's, What's going on right now where, where the head coach does clearly does not have the support of his boss. It's either super calculated which I mean, again, if you if you, and again, if you think this is super calculated from management side, then you're essentially suggesting they're playing 4D chess, that they are going to almost somehow intentionally disrupt and dysfunctionalize. That's not a word. The team so that they'll be bad and it'll allow them to justify to make the moves that they want to make. If it's not calculated and this is all fly by the seat of your pants then there needs to be some sort of pilot or navigator because this is bananas. I mean, it makes for, like, it's that old line. This is horrible for our country, but it's great content. This is horrible for the team, but the content is spectacular. Because I just want to play this one more. quite a soap opera. I just want to really play, is. I want to play one more Rutherford clip because you had in the notes here about Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh and maybe the relationship that Rutherford and him had. And then more specifically and importantly, what Rutherford saw or wants to see moving forward. Jim Rutherford, in addition to skewering the team's performance this year, also continues to ventilate whatever happened last year 
with Bruce, there it is, and the Boudreau bump. He did it again yesterday, talking about the style. He said, Laddie, that the style was loose last year. Once again, kind of suggesting that the Canucks were just playing freewheeling hockey again, a bunch of, against a bunch of opponents that weren't taking them seriously. So here's Jim Rutherford going back in time to poke more holes in last year's Canucks run. I, I do believe that the style that the team played that had success in the second half of last season was was a loose style, and it was more on the offensive side. And uh, and our goaltender played great in the second half and, and really helped win, win a lot of those games or, or bail us out in wide-open games. And I don't believe that that's a style of play that you can sustain over a long period of time if you want to contend for a playoff spot. Again, this interview got picked up uh, first locally, like, the, the province, Patrick Johnson wrote an article off it. And then everything that I read nasty is daily face off serious XM NHL, all picking up on it. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to sports that national uh, highlight pack. Had yeah. It's, from it. And it's hard not to, because very rarely do you get not the general manager, but the president of hockey ops coming out in this kind of fashion, I would say cavalierly just throwing it out there. Yeah. Like the devil may care attitude. There didn't seem to be any repercussions from the Rutherford side of things. Right. Uh, so you mentioned um, Mike Sullivan, yes, and I, I I wonder if Rutherford's experience with Sullivan in Pittsburgh is relevant here. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux is known as a players' coach, right? He's he. Did you notice in BX's speech to the Canucks, he said, "You're lucky to have Bruce. He lets you play. He, he lets he lets you play," mm-hmm. um, which is basically saying like, you know, he lets you not do what you want out on the ice, but he gives you freedom to, uh, to create out there loose. You might it's say it's not, it's not, you know, Daryl Sutter hockey. It's not Barry Trotz hockey. BX mentioned it in his speech. To that, the yeah, that, no, that's what I yeah. just mentioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it just, yeah. Um, so, you know. um, yeah, that's good. You're paying attention early in. The, I'm cutting in stuff the... behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Laddie's oh, okay. work. Laddie's okay. putting in work. I, uh, anyway, we uh, duck in and out of the conversation. I apologize. <laughs> well, so do most of the listeners. It's okay. It's true. Uh, so when when Rutherford fired Mike Johnston. Okay, so here's how the timeline went. Mm-hmm. Rutherford was named the general manager in Pittsburgh, and that same day, Dan Balsma was fired. Mike Johnston was eventually named the head coach. That was the year that they interviewed Willie Desjardins, and Desjardins picked Vancouver. Said, I think Desjardins, no thanks, Pittsburgh. I'm I think, going to the Canucks. I actually think Desjardins might have been their first choice. He turned it down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then Mike Johnston took over. A year and a half later, it wasn't working. And Mike Johnston was fired. And there was a lot of pressure on Rutherford in Pittsburgh at that time because the Penguins were really struggling. And they had Malkin. They had Crosby. They had this you know, Stanley Cup caliber core of players. And people were like, Jim Rutherford, you're wasting this. And you chose Mike Johnston and you screwed this up. And then he went to Mike Sullivan and he said, I see Mike Sullivan as a guy that is a really demanding take control guy. A demanding take control guy. Yeah, I mean, it says it right there. What he wants, what he envisions, what he desires to have behind the bench. And the Penguins went on to have great success with Mike Sullivan, who is still the head coach in Pittsburgh. Um, this, this keeps up. He might be available. 
Well, that's true. He just signed a pretty big <laughs> extension, though. They're losing badly. Here's another question I've got. Okay. How much of a risk is Rutherford taking by blaming the coaching staff, specifically the head coach, so much? What if management hires a new coach and the results on the ice don't change? The fans really like Bruce Boudreaux. They do. I mean, the difference, you know, the fans in Pittsburgh, they wanted Mike Johnston fired too, right? Yeah. The fans in Vancouver are still chanting, Bruce, there it is, during an awful start to the season. Yeah. If this goes, if this, if, if a new coach comes in and by next season the Canucks aren't winning, the fans will not forget how this went down. Biggest difference between the Pittsburgh situation and this situation is the quote unquote outgoing coach. Everyone was done with Mike Johnston in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Nobody, at least from the fan perspective, and remember, that does matter. It does matter, especially in the Canadian hockey market. Uh, they're not ready to see Boudreaux go. As a matter of fact, I think that a lot of people would be pretty upset and felt like he got a raw deal if he was let go. But outside of some negative backlash from the fans, I'll do respect to the, the importance of the fans and their backlash, is there really any other risk that Rutherford's running? He's not going to get a reprimand from anybody. He's not going to get a slap on the wrist. He's in charge of orchestrating the direction of the team. And if his vision is we need a different head coach, you can argue with the way that he's gone about it. But if the end game is getting a guy behind the bench that he wants, I'm not sure that there are any ramifications. I'm not sure he's running that high of a risk. Is he speaking to the owner in these interviews? Is he trying to convince the owner that Bruce Boudreaux isn't the guy and that he should be allowed to hire a new coach right now? Here's, I, here's what I think about that. I think he might be speaking as candidly to the owner as he is to Satin Dan yesterday. Yeah, I, think it, I think they might be mirrored conversations yeah. where it's like, look, uh, we've got people in here, seasoned hockey people who have been doing this for a long time, and they all agree what happened last year is not sustainable. Others, maybe from the outside looking in or maybe another management group, would say, hey, you had something in m magic in a bottle or lightning in a bottle, and maybe you can play it out over this year, but we didn't believe that, and now we're seeing proof of concept or proof in the pudding. Kevin in Campbell River texts in, I think that management is trying to chip away at Bruce's popularity prior to firing him. That's possible. Daniel in Campbell River. Man, we are huge in Campbell River this morning. Leave it to the Vancouver Canucks organization to break jovial Bruce Boudreaux in a market that absolutely loves him. So there know, is something to that. Well, t today is like get your popcorn ready, must see, as far as like morning skates and pregame media availabilities go. Because what's the first question that Bruce Boudreaux is going to be asked today? It's probably not about who's starting in net, and it's probably not about lineup. It's probably about the comments that his boss made yesterday on Sportsnet 650. And then he gets to do it again in Montreal, and then again in Toronto. And maybe the rest of the trip, Buffalo and Boston as well. Here's a question into the Dunbar Lumber text line that I think is a good one. Is Rutherford wrong, though? Yeah. Hey, hey listen. <laughs> I think the Canucks could absolutely use a coach that is more uh, detailed, the, that, is, that gives the Canucks a better structure. I, 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 that's the thing. Like, I, I don't disagree with it. I like Bruce Boudreaux as a, um, as a, as a personality. He's obviously had success uh, in the NHL, but I watch the Canucks play, and I think, man, like I, I know it's a personnel issue. I don't think that. I know it's a personnel issue. 
Mm-hmm. I know that there are players on this team that don't know how to defend well enough, sure. that aren't good enough in their own end, that can't do the detailed things that you need to do in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and if there's a point to having a coach, like that would be to try and help fix that sort of stuff. And, and I think the Canucks do need that. If I was to hire a new coach for the Vancouver Canucks, it would be someone that knew systems, that knew uh, details and, and structure. I don't know if this group is made for that, but if Barry Trotz, for example, can turn that New York Islanders team into a team that plays defense, they went from one of being one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL mm-hmm. into one of the best. Yep. Clearly, coaching can have an impact in the NHL. Clearly. I know. So the original question was, is Rutherford wrong? Uh, in his analysis and assessment, no. Even if he was wrong, you've got to be committed to something. You have to make a, a decision. We're either going to play this style or we're not going to play this stuff. That's the muddling and confusing part to me is it's very clear, Jason, that his mind is made up. That They're not doing the things structurally, system-wise, et cetera, et cetera, to win games or how he envisions the team playing, right? That's fair to say. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think that their style right now is in any way um, going to correspond into positive results. So he's made up his mind there. If that's the case, what's holding this up? This inevitable divorce that everyone sees coming from a mile away. And I don't have the answer to that, but there's clearly posturing going on here that isn't unintentional. There's obviously something more to continually pointing out these flaws in your team than just, I felt like I needed to go on the radio and vent. That was not what was happening yesterday. Is that fair to say? There was There's a pointed message and the talking points have been pretty consistent mm-hmm. and pretty thorough. And right now, they're coming more and more often. Because Rutherford's, what, 10, 12 days removed from making very similar comments on national television on After Hours. So just think about that. The two very public criticisms he had were, one, on a national broadcast, where all everyone across Canada is watching it. And then, two, before his team's going out on a Canadian road trip. I mean, you tell me. Do those seem like the actions of a guy that is just kind of sitting back without a plan, just shooting from the hip or the lip as it was? Yeah, I don't know. No, it's it's intentional. We'll talk to Greg Wyshynski about all of this and some other stories around the NHL, including the Boston Bruins. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Six thirty-two, oh, six thirty-three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. I love it when the clock changes. I just get really excited. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I also need to tell you that it's uh, pre-Black Friday on now at Rogers. Get your iPhone thirteen for five dollars a month. Five dollars a month. Uh, you can also get eligible trade on financing and upfront edge. Details 
at Rogers.com. That music means that our good buddy from ESPN, Greg Wyshynski, is going to join us. But not right away. Greg is taking part in the Democratic process right now. Might be the last Democratic process ever down south. You're not going to vote anymore. You all (laughs) just say hello and bow down to your new king or queen. Uh, But Greg is voting, so he's going to join us in just a few minutes. Before we get to Greg, this will give us an opportunity to get back to what I would call the secondary part of President of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford's interview with Sat and Dan on Canucks Central right here on Sportsnet 650 yesterday. There was the lambasting, I'll call it lambasting, of Mm -hmm. the head coach. That was one part of it. The other part, uh, which falls obviously more on Rutherford and his hockey operations department, is how they are going to build, Jason, not rebuild, but build this team moving forward. Yeah, I was a little surprised that Rutherford also blamed Bruce Boudreaux for the flat cap. Right. Like, I thought that was unfair. But, you know, if you're going to blame him for all the things, <laughs> it's got to be all the things. Bruce is also the reason we cannot find any help on the right side of the defense. Yeah. Bruce, the Zambonis are breaking down. What's going on? <laughs> How is our practice facility doing, Bruce? Bruce the builder. Um, okay. So Rutherford was asked about a rebuild and the word and the concept and all that. I'll just let the answer speak for itself because he says uh, it's not quite the word they use in the Canucks front offices, uh, although it's reasonably close to the one they do use. Take it away, Greg. But I don't think we need to use the word rebuild. You know, we all get caught up in words and the word that we use internally is build, continue to build, 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 move out players that don't fit here move in younger players. I talked about it from day one. When we bring players in, we're going to try to bring in relatively young players, 26 years old or younger. And, uh, and for the most part, that's, that's what we've done to this point. You know, we're not, we're not trading draft picks for, for guys in their thirties and things like that. We're trying to build this together so it can come together within certainly within the next year for, for next season, if not, you know, prior to that, but certainly with the the start that we've had, it, it it it's going to be very difficult for this team to claw out of the hole we're in and contend for a playoff spot. So the challenge in building is that sometimes, in order to build, you need to take pieces away because those pieces are rotten, mm. right? Yeah, that's it's structural are, structural integrity. Yeah, you need non rotten pieces. You got to take it. that bad brick away isn't that the re part though why doesn't he like re what's wrong with re oh let's let's not get confused on this okay it's confusing well okay he's trying he's trying to he's trying to build yes um but his problem has been that he hasn't been allowed to build because uh there are size limitations in the nhl you can't just spend all the money on this massive mansion we're probably going to get conf- too confused with this parallel. I but, see where you're going. I'm following you. But there's a salary cap. And the problem is the Canucks have not been able to uh, jettison certain contracts. So I think this was a very interesting part that I don't know if a lot of people picked up. But we're going to play a clip here where he says, yeah, we haven't been able to trade certain players because – Teams don't want those players, or they don't have room for those players. They don't feel like it's worth it to add those players. Guys like Tyler Myers, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Tanner Pearson. I'm sure they've explored, at least at least explored trading guys like that because they're inefficient contracts. We can all agree on that, right? 
Those guys are NHL players, but they're overpaid. They're inefficient contracts. So could it get to the point where the Canucks actually trade some players that people around the league do want? And that, I have to admit, is a fairly short list in Vancouver. Like, how many players on the Canucks, if you were to power rank the assets that they do have, mm-hmm. how would you rank them? Obviously, Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, Hughes, right? Hughes one, Pedersen two, Demko three. Um, Horvat four. Um, Pod Colson, right? Pod Colson and Hoaglander. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come on, come on. For Five. what they're paid, for what they're paid, they're still was, on very. I, the only they're thing still I was on saying, very cheap. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't saying, confuse this. I'm not. I'm just. It was either going to be Pod Colson or Hoaglander. I, well, I think they're 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 both they're both yeah. they're both there. I was just power. Uh, Kuzmenko. Did I mention him? Oh no! Don't say it. Okay. <laughs> But he, sure, yeah. but he's, tra- he, yeah. I mean, and I think, and I Frank, and I think Luke Shen is would be very popular addition uh, for some playoff teams. Stillman, then Riley Stillman. <laughs> after that, honestly, after that, you know, like even Garland, you know, like I don't know what he's worth right now in a flat cap environment. Maybe if the salary cap goes up, his contract starts to look a little more appealing. Uh, I mean, they just are in that conversation too with Garland. Uh, yeah. I don't know what Besser's worth right now, man. He can't even get into the lineup. He can't get into the lineup and he's got a big cap hit. He's got a bigger cap hit than Garland. I think Garland as an asset with the contract attached is a more appealing thing. At any rate, let's play this clip from Jim Rutherford where he talks about maybe the Canucks are going to be forced to trade or not forced, but maybe they'll explore trading a guy that they never thought that they would be trading. There's certain players you can't, you can't trade because, you know, people aren't interested in them. And, and so maybe we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to take a look at trading one or two players that in the off season, we would never consider doing. Now, the only way we would do that is to trade that player and get something in return that we can at least stay the same as we are now and get a couple more younger assets. That's what I talk about when we build. It's not necessarily a total teardown and rebuild. We just keep building piece by piece by piece. And we'd all like to, you know, it's like doing a, a puzzle. We'd all like to, you know, put all those pieces, those thousand pieces out on a table and fit the most important pieces in first. But it doesn't work that way. Each piece by piece at some point will make sense for what we're trying to do. So at this stage of the game, I'm listening to the interview play out in real time, and I'm thinking, man, there sure seems to be a lot of issues with this organization that aren't of Jim Rutherford's doing. And you know who's saying it out loud? Jim Rutherford, right? I didn't pick the coach, and he doesn't like the style that the coach who he didn't pick is currently using he doesn't love the roster and a lot of the pieces that he pointed out are untradeable because no one else in the NHL is interested in them but he acquired them he inherited them the one question I would have asked is when he said things that make sense this is not to throw Satin Dan under the bus they were doing the interview in real time it's hard to try and come up with you know you've got an idea of where you want the conversation to go but the one question I would have said is uh, can you explain to me where in this big picture the JT Miller extension makes sense within the framework that you're talking about? Because he doesn't fit the age category that Jim Rutherford was talking about. It also doesn't seem to fit the concept of building 
Because I think everyone agrees that that, including Jim Rutherford himself, that that contract's going to age badly. Well, he doesn't want to take a step back. He doesn't want to take a step back. He just said that. If we're going to trade one of these guys that everyone around the league wants, we want something back. Plus, you know, like they just want everything. Well, could maybe he have been the guy that they were referring to that doesn't have the value? He says some of the players just didn't have a market or a value or whatever the quote I is. I don't think so. That's I don't not think, Miller? I don't I think, think that. What I happened. think it was more Connor Garland. Let's, well, let's, yeah. uh, let's bring in Greg Wyshynski into this conversation. Wish, good morning. How are you? I'm good. I was just uh, saving democracy. So uh, thank oh, you good. for your flexibility on time. Yeah, I just got out of the... Uh, the old, the old voter booth here in uh, in the U.S. Yeah, we were saying that yeah. this might be the last time democracy exists down there, so it's nice <laughs> oh, to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Did was, you take any was, souvenirs uh, or anything? I was... Yeah, you get a sticker and a pen. I was telling my <laughs> wife that it, it's it's kind of... There's a huge line today, and I, and I feel like it's like how everybody saw the last Harry Potter movie because they knew it was going to be the last Harry Potter movie. <laughs> so, that's, <laughs> taking, selfies, that's taking selfies with your ballot. You're like, hey, look at me, I'm voting. <laughs> Possibly never again. Um, I'm assuming that you heard locally the news of the day is not the U.S. midterm elections, but rather uh, Jim Rutherford <laughs> yet again, <laughs> yet again. Uh, putting his his coach out in the public sphere and not in a good way. Uh, one, do we need to rehash or are you up to speed with everything that Rutherford said yesterday? No, I mean, I, I, I read it and I saw it. Like you said, the, the JT Miller part of it is the real conundrum, right? And and I think it's it's one of those deals where, like, I, I heard you guys talking about, like, oh, they want to stay competitive or what have you. But, I mean, has the suspicion always that maybe the JT Miller extension doesn't fit Jimmy's plan because it wasn't Jimmy's call. Like, isn't that to the conspiracy theory in Vancouver? Yep, that is one for sure. For sure. Yep. Well, I mean, and that's how you end up in this pickle. So, <laughs> you're you're talking about like, you know, decisions that he made and decisions that he didn't make. I'm starting to wonder about the ultimate decision to come to Vancouver. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. Kinda, like, like you've you've taken over a team that's not yours. Uh, apparently, you know, none of the guys that you want to move are movable. Uh, you're stuck with a coach you don't want. <laughs> like, it doesn't sound like the plumbest gig uh, in hindsight for, for Jim Rutherford to come in and try to fix things. And again, like, the excitement, I, I remember seeing Accolini at the Board of Governors meeting when, when Dudreau got hired, and then, you know, later when the Jimmy thing happened. And, and it's just like, there was palpable excitement because if, Jim Rutherford if, is, is nothing if not a fixer. Like, he came into Pittsburgh and, and really kind of knew what buttons to push to kind of like flip that roster and, and a little bit and change it and, and make it good. And, you know, that was the anticipation here. And, and that's the real bummer of it all is like, there's, it, there's been a stasis as far as what this roster is. And, and, uh, and there's been more, I mean, there's a hell of a lot more complaining than, than proactiveness from oh, yeah. the management group. And that's a real problem. How do you think Bruce Boudreaux is going to react to this? I think there's no, I don't think there's any mysteries for Bruce. I think Bruce, it, Bruce is an idiot if he doesn't realize that he's only there because of his contract. I mean, I think Rutherford's been pretty clear about that on several occasions, and, and I'm hoping has been clear about it behind the scenes, right? Like, I, 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 you have to imagine that he, that he knows that he's sort of serving at the pleasure of, of his contract right now, and if, if the results aren't there on the ice, that eventually, you know, when it becomes maybe more financially soluble for the franchise, he's not going to be there. So, I mean, I, I'd be shocked at this point if they're running mysteries for Bruce, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. But, but if I'm Bruce Boudreaux, I'm still pretty pissed off about this. Like 
I'm I've just won my 600th NHL game as a head coach, and to be treated like this by sure. someone who's in the organization, like I, I I know it's not all roses and rated G in the NHL, but I don't remember many management coaching dynamics like this. Well, you have to think. Of, well, first of all. I, the whole thing's dysfunctional. I mean, let's let's be honest on that yes. regard. But as far as like the the dynamics between coach and GM, I mean, that's actually normal. Like it's normal for the GM to come in and want his guy, and if he can't get his guy, he'd be pissy about it. Like I mean, that's kind of the way the way this has always worked. I mean, that's that's part of the dysfunction is N- having normally someone- the GM just gets his guy. Yeah, exactly. And and we're calling him a GM, obviously. Well, he's not well a GM, management, he's, whatever. Yeah. yeah, management, right. So, like, yeah, that's the way it usually works is that you, you hire the guy to fix the team, the guy fixes the team by bringing in, in his own coach, and in this case, he was unable to. And so it's going to naturally lead to this, this palpable tension uh, where, you know, a guy can't remake the team that he, that he wants because he's stuck with a coach that was, again, hired before he was, which is – I mean, I think if there was a moment in time, boys, when we looked at that and said, oh, that's a really proactive move. Like, Bruce Boudreau, one of the best coaches we've had in the last 20 years. Like, be proactive about it. But then when you go and bring in Jim Rutherford, it's like, oh, okay, well, now you've bought an, an alpha dog. Like, now, you, now, you've, now you've got somebody who's got, you know, multiple cups on his resume. He's coming in to create this this thing in his own image, and you've stuck him with a coach you didn't hire. So, Again, it all tracks back to the failings of, of ownership in in making these decisions and putting people in, in awkward positions, and it leads to situations like this. But again, like I guess, I guess this is where I'm at, man. Like I've talked to Jim a lot through the years, and he's a very candid guy, and, and I think that's why a lot of your quote-unquote insiders love talking to him mm-hmm. because he gives you info, and, and he's going to be on the record about it and stuff like that. How does this help anybody? Like, how does this help the organization? Like, what is this? Is he is he trying to save face by 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 doing this stuff? That is a great question. We were, we were trying to that get to the bottom. Great, like, my question. first question for Halford was like, "What's he doing here?" And Halford was like, "I don't know, man." Yeah, it's really confusing, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, yeah. like most of these most of these guys. Listen, even the most candid of GMs is going to be, uh, you know, a little bit careful about trying to 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 make his organization you know, look this dysfunctional uh, in, in its public face. And, you know, what does it say about trying to ne- negotiate deals with other teams when they think the whole thing is kind of like hit the iceberg at this point? I don't know. It's it's a really, really weird vibe to kind of come out and, and you know, be this candid about the things that are going on. And, and the only thing I can think, about, think of is it's essentially to, to get yourself over, you know, at this point if, if things aren't working out. Like it's kind of wiping your hands of it. Uh, we're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Wish I got to ask you about the Mitchell Miller situation in Boston. Although it's been resolved, I'm using that in air quotes because it's the only word I can come up with on the spot. Although it's been resolved now, the Bruins have reneged on the contract. Uh, Mitchell Miller will not be part of the organization any longer. It still feels like the reverberations and ramifications are ongoing, including a couple things that you pointed out with regards to the NHL and the NHLPA's involvement here. And it does beg the question, like, did anybody do any sort of vetting (laughs) or at any stage along the way here, did anyone raise a hand and say, should we investigate this further? It just seemed so haphazardly done and hearing everyone talk about it in the aftermath 
Um, you know, the NHL and NHLPA absolutely had a role in this, and it is crazy that it got to the point that it did where Gary Bettman, in a press conference, was openly acknowledging that this was a problem and maybe he would never be allowed to be playing in the NHL. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, let's not use the word resolve because the bottom line is that Mitchell Miller has a contract with the Boston Bruins. It's been registered with the league. You okay. can't just walk away from it. Okay. There's two ways to, that, that you can get rid of that contract, which is that you put him on waivers and he becomes someone else's problem, or Gary Bettman rules that he's you know, violated that clause in the CBA that allows Bettman to cancel a standard player contract. Sure. Now, so- the, problem for, the problem right now is that, like, and this could be the next step, is the NHLPA, you're either going to pay this kid or, or they're going to grieve the contract, I think, because mm-hmm. you can't just simply sign somebody and then walk away if you've decided you don't want Well, no part of this is fascinating to me. Um, and I know that we're, there's a whole lot of other things in this parfait of sadness that we're dealing with insofar as his past, his incidences, what he did and what he didn't do to reform himself. All of that is very valid and and needs to be explored. Um, But so the NHL knew that the teams were trying to sign Miller um, as of the middle of September. They were alerted about it by his agent. Um, The NHL and all of the teams that were interested in Mitchell Miller were given information from Miller's camp about the things he's done, the court cases, kind of pleading his case, trying to, trying to say, hey, this is where this guy's been. Here's our version of the facts when it comes to what happened with the, 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 the kid in, in eighth grade. Like, so all of the teams knew the whole situation with him. Um, and then in the Wednesday before the Bruins announced the signing, they went to the NHL. Don Sweeney did, according to Cam Neely, and told Bill Daly, we're going to sign him. Okay, and then they sign him. And at no point throughout that entire process, middle of September, Wednesday before the signing, the signing, did the National Hockey League say that, that, that Mitchell Miller was ineligible to play in the league? Now, they may have said that uh, they'd prefer him not to play in the league, <laughs> that maybe, maybe go play someplace else and, and show us that you're, you've, you've performed and you've done all the work and whatever. But at no point was his eligibility ever in question for the, the Bruins or any other team. And then on Saturday, Gary Bettman says he's not eligible to play in the NHL. And we also weren't consulted about it. Mm. So either there is a massive miscommunication here or, or someone is, is not exactly being forthright with what they knew and when they knew it and, and the status of the player. Because that is, what Bettman said on Saturday is the reason he's not a Bruin. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yep. I, I, I talked to Eustace King Miller's agent, and, and he agreed that it's not the fans, it's not Patrice Bergeron, it's Gary Bettman saying that this kid's not eligible to play in the league, and, and that's why the Bruins walked away from it. So um, there's a lot to unpack there timeline-wise, and a lot to unpack there as far as like what can people do within their powers <laughs> to, to make a contract go away, but that's where we are, and, and I find this whole thing to be really, really fascinating. And again, like I, I, I want to just say real quick, like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for the commissioner to have that power. Sure. Like, I think we've been all been hoping that Gary Bettman would be more proactive about certain players being in this league and, and, and saying that it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a privilege, not a right to play in the NHL. So if, if we're in this thing now where all of a sudden he can, you know, Thanos snap somebody out of the league because of, of their history, I'm all for it. <laughs> like, go ahead, man. But I, I just find it to be very interesting that like all of this stuff happened and, and we still don't exactly 
know if it should have. Yeah, and the other thing from, from a process standpoint. Yeah. The other part of this too is like having covered the league for a while. Jason and I both know two things about Gary Bettman. One, he does not like to get caught off guard. He likes to be very prepared for everything, and I feel like this situation caught him off guard. And then two, uh, he can be a vindictive leader at times. Uh, he's got a long memory, and I that's what really becomes the next chapter for me in all this. Like, I know that there's, a, as you put it so eloquently, the parfait of sadness with all the things to focus on. But to me now, it's like, I feel like the ramifications just might not be done because now you've opened up a whole new can of worms with regards to Batman, the NHL, the NHLP, and what becomes of this contract now? Well, the thing I'm interested about with Batman, and it was, it was mentioned by a few people, is that of all the teams that sign Mitchell Miller, it's, it's Jeremy Jacobs' team, and it's the Jacobs family. And that is your, you know, big, big chair at the table when it comes to the Board of Governors. And, and so did they think that they could, they could get away with this, <laughs> for lack of a better term? And did Bettman and, and, and Bill Daly communicate to them, this is probably not something you want to do, and then they did it anyway? And if that's the case, you can understand why he was upset on Saturday. Um, now, we, I've also covered Bettman for, for decades. He also just might, might have been upset because he's in Finland trying to extol the virtues of the NHL as a global entity. Right. And instead he's answering questions about a player that's not even in the league. <laughs> right? Like, like he hates that. I've seen him. I, there have been like board of governors meetings and GM meetings and like press conferences at the Stanley cup final where the first question is about a team getting sold or like an investigation into hockey Canada. And you can just see that he would much rather be talking about anything else than the difficult thing. And uh, I'm sure that was probably the case on Saturday as well. Wish, awesome stuff as per usual. Thank you very much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. Anytime. Thanks, uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Parfait of sadness. I love that. I yeah, think. wonderful. If you're going to do a crossover theme between Sad Club Commish and your I, restaurant. I need that. You could have it on your menu. At, yeah. uh, griddle me this, and then your dessert would be the parfait of sadness. They could have that at Rogers Arena. They could. <laughs> Absolutely good. I'll have the parfait of sadness and the twenty dollar beer. Yeah. Would you like some sprinkles? Half they price st- in the third period. I was gonna say they yeah. sell out at the start of the third. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian Mendez is going to join us next. To talk about the Ottawa Senators, who the Canucks are playing tonight in Ottawa. It's been a disappointing start to the season for the Ottawa Senators. Lots of optimism coming into the season, but the Sens have fallen a little bit short. Pierre Dorian the other day. Uh, well, he said he it wasn't a vote of confidence, but it, it kind of was a vote was of confidence. more than a vote, a vote of confidence. For head coach uh, DJ Smith. Uh, we'll also talk to Ian about the sale of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, could Ryan Reynolds be the next owner of the NHL franchise? Lots to discuss with Ian Mendez, one of our favorite guests, coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of... Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.